Did you know that Easy Medical Device is not only a blog, a podcast, or a YouTube channel? It's also an agency that is providing you consulting, coaching, and training for medical devices. So if you have any projects, don't hesitate to contact me at info at easymedicaldevice.com. Info at easymedicaldevice.com. So talk to you later. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we will talk about software, um, software lifecycle, software maintenance. <laughs> we'll talk about a specific standard, which is the IEC 62304. And for that, I have with me Adnan Ashfak. So we had Adnan uh, on a previous episode related to uh, process validation. So Adnan is uh, the founder uh, and principal consultant at uh, Farmimed Limited. Uh, so Adnan, welcome again to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Thank you once again, Munir. Thanks for having me back on the show again. No problem. So Adnan, just maybe for people that don't remember you or didn't look at the process validation episode. So can you just make a small introduction? Yes, sure, absolutely. So, um, yeah, hello again, and hello to viewers if they're seeing me for the first time. So, I work in the medical device industry since 1999, so over 20 years, um, working all sorts of uh, medical devices, small companies, large companies, medium-sized companies, um, helping a lot of startup companies in the regulatory space to try and get their CE marking and medical devices into CE marking. Also, the jurisdictions. Um, put in quality management systems. So really all um, areas within medical device uh, regulatory and quality requirements are needed to, in order for compliance perspectives. That's what I'm doing um, and that's what I enjoy. So <laughs> great to be here. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, so uh, as we said, the so last time we talked about process validation, but this time we'll really talk about a specific topic, which is uh, software lifecycle management. So how we are uh, working with the software, uh, what kind of standards we have to apply. And we know the standard IEC uh, 62304, and it will help us to understand it better. So in few words, um, who... I mean, who has to use the standard? Is it a standard that is mandatory or um, is there something that is kind of helpful for any uh, people that are developing software in, within this standard? Yeah, so definitely um, uh, 62304 is a hot potato, absolutely hot potato. It's um, specifically because um, now that uh, the EUMDR uh, is amongst us since 2017, if we cast our minds back since the directive was 1993, so over the space of 24 years or plus years, there's been so much advancement in technology. And all of that is using software, uh, it's, um, software which is embedded into uh, a, a printed circuit board, which might be in an electromechanical device, which is controlling it. So fundamentally, what's that question? What's at stake here is the safety of the device, which is being driven by the software itself. So this is the, the, the main issue. 
um, what the notified bodies and what the competent authorities are trying to pin down with legal manufacturers to make sure that compliance and safety standards have been met. So this is actually all about safety. Um, so this is the first thing that I want to mention. So 62304 is the fundamental standard, but also alongside that is um, 82304, which is another standard, which is IT health uh, management software. But the, the interesting thing is if you look at 82304, it actually points you back towards 62304. So this is really the main standard that we should be talking about today. Okay, and um, so uh, it's it's something that is specific to software, as you mentioned. So, is there a specific? I mean, are we talking about all medical device software, or are we talking about a specific class of software, or is there some kind of exception in terms of software that don't need to use this standard? Um, well, the, I think the main thing what every manufacturer needs to do. Um, software or no software is the fundamental thing which I always advise manufacturers make sure that you know your intended purpose. Yeah. The intended use and intended purpose drives everything and that is so, so important because the first thing that the manufacturer has to do is do we qualify as a medical device? Does it have a medical intended purpose? Is there a, a clinical safety or clinical benefit? Um, once we know this, we can then drive towards the classifications because then we have to have a look at the safety and depending on the impact to patient, if it can lead to death or if it leads to injury or serious injury or minor injury, we can then start looking at the classifications of the software. So software can be independent software, which is being run on a server somewhere or a cloud-based uh, um, software. It can be software which is running in um, in the an electromechanical device, as I said. But one thing I, I just wanted to make clear, just so that the audience is very clear upon, because not to be confused with uh, CSV. CSV is computer software validation, yeah. actually. Okay, so uh, uh, this is something is, is which is also very um, hot amongst um, auditors and FD and competent authorities where you have processes which actually have software driving a process which is manufacturing a medical device. This is not what we're talking about. What we're discussing now is software as a medical device. Okay. The software itself is the medical device. Yeah. Or the, so the, or the medical device is driven, driven by software. This is the thing that we need to discuss. No, it's great. Um, I think, yeah, there is also this guidance um, from MDCG, I can't remember the number, uh, that is yeah. also... Uh, 2019, it's 2019-11. Okay, so this, this one is really helping also to define, uh, to qualify if a certain software is a medical device and also to help in terms of classification. Um, yeah. So I think, as you've said, we have first to go to this route before really to arrive to uh, to uh, the next level, which is maybe this uh, this standard, and uh, if we have to apply it. 62304 is only for for medical devices or it can be for any other software? Um, it's specifically for medical devices. Okay. Um, there are other uh, applications also. So there is um, uh, 12207, yeah. um, 61508 and 90003, which are also for software um, development lifecycle, but they're not specifically for medical devices. Um, 62304 is specific for medical devices. No, great. Um, in terms of uh, standards, so uh, we talked about classification of products. Uh, when I read the first time uh, the 62304, uh, they were also talking about a certain classification inside class A, mm. B, C. So 
is there just to avoid maybe some confusion to people that are saying, oh, my software is class A, B, C, and people are maybe thinking now about the IVDR classification. Mm. So um, can we say, say if there is any relationship between the UMDR classification or IVDR classification and this IEC 62304 classification? Right. So that's a very, very good point. And it's, uh, it's an excellent point because I've come across some recent uh, conversations where people have been confused with this. Um, so not to be confused, there are two separate classifications for sure. So no doubt about that. So first of all, there's the overall medical device classification, either a class one, 2A, 2B in class three in the European jurisdiction or class one, class two, class three for the FDA. But let's concentrate on uh, the European Union for CE marking. Once you have identified uh, class 2A, B, or 3, or class 1, then we look at the safety classification, which 62304 then determines. But what it does is it automatically defaults your classification as a class C, which is the worst category, yeah. which means that your software can lead to a critical harm such as death. It can actually lead to death. So serious deterioration of health or uh, serious injury or death. Uh, and then what you need to do is you need to ask you some questions. And the questions are based on risk. And if you look at the hazards from the risks that, that the software can create, it can then be declassified to a B or an A. B meaning that it can lead to a minor injury, non-serious injury, and A, it can lead to no injury. So there's a slight differentiation, different so different class, classification. Yeah, and... Uh... If I remember well, the the EUMDR classification was also using the same terms to help classify your product. So uh, it's telling you uh, if it is really dangerous or not, uh, can lead to death or serious injury, etc. So I suppose the auditors will also look between the class that you attribute within your IEC 62304 and the one that you go within the EUMDR. If they are not really aligned, there is also maybe some issues here. Right. So the one thing that we have to have a look at is, although we have 62304, one of the key uh, relationship uh, um, diagrams is actually within the standard, there's a figure, which is a flow chart, figure C.1, which is the relationship of all of the key standards to 62304. And in within that, risk management ISO 4971, um, Usability engineering 62366, and also if it's electromechanical, then 60601, you need to have, have a look at the medical electrical safety, 61010, and 82304 if it's IT health management. You have to have a look at the overall holistic um, picture and how everything is interlinking. Um, but one of the, the, the key documents, which we didn't mention also, is the IMDRF documentation. Yep. The IMDRF which, uh, if people aren't familiar, used to be the GHTF, the yeah. Global Harmonization Task Force, which was superseded to the IMDRF documentation. Now, there are four critical documents which are very, very useful in understanding and developing your documentation for 62304. Um, and when, within one of them, there is one for clinical management uh, in clinical management and also for risk management also. And it helps you to identify and guide you for the safety classification because sometimes you have software which is um, it's driving clinical management it's, uh, or it's, um, it's implementing clinical management or there's three classifications. I don't remember the, th the third one. There's three different categorizations. And it looks towards the risk scenario of 
what can happen as an outcome from the software? Can it lead to death? Can it lead to a major threat or some kind of injury or just inconvenience? And this is why coming back to it, this, the important thing is going back to ISO 14971 and your risk management because everything is driven by risk management. Once you have your intended purpose clarified, your intended purpose has to feed into your risk management exercise, your um, FMEA or whichever process you use. And from that, you then need to determine what will be the harms from each of the potential failures. And if you think that death can be occurred by the failure of uh, misusing or any of the design hazards within the software, then is, there's a possibility that this could become a class C uh, safety class classification, but it still may not be a class three medical device. It might still be a class two A or a class, class two B. And the determined fact, determining factor is actually time. And some people don't know this. So for example, let's, let's look at examples. You might have something like a, a, a predictive cardiac arrest software. <laughs> If the algorithms or software fails because of the calculation and somebody goes into cardiac arrest and the dependency on the software is that the clinicians depend on the software to predict the cardiac arrest and somebody dies because of a failure of not calculating the prediction correctly due to a failure of the algorithm, this is automatically class C and class 3 because we know that is death, but the time interval is immediate as well immediately can lead to death. On the other hand, we might have some predicting software, which is predicting that somebody has uh, cancer and they're going to die in six months. So the safety classification may be uh, a, a, class, uh, a class C because it can lead to death, or it might be a class B because it can be immediately, it's, it's not going to lead to death, but long-term it can. So here we have an argument to, lower the safety classification from a class C to a class B, but within the uh, overall MDR classification, it might still be a class three. Exactly. So, so it's, this is what it's, help, it's helping. It's helping, if I can say, in terms of uh, uh, the classification. I mean, as you as we said, the classification of uh, UMDR and the classification of the IEC sixty two or three or four do have different purposes. The one for UMDR is to find which conformity assessment we have to follow, and the exactly. one for IEC sixty two three or four is to find what are the processes that you have to implement for this software. Because when you look at the standard, there is uh, each chapter and says this chapter is for class A, B, C. This one is for class B and C only, et cetera, et cetera. So it gives you yeah. which, which chapter, which phase is applicable to that. So it's really giving you a different things. But um, IEC 62304 was existing before also. So it's not like a new standard. Uh, with the, with the, the Medical Device Directive 9342EC, uh, um, nearly all software were class one. So it's more also something that uh, was also to be considered the fact that a software was class one, but it can have maybe a class C uh, risk within IC 6204. So is it a possibility and is it something that led to a lot of issues, you think? Um, one of the things that's led to an issue also is the up-classifying of medical devices that have gone from a class one previously and suddenly they are now class 2A or something else, you know, sometimes they've, they've had no notified body intervention before. Um, and, and this is because the, the definition, uh, and, and, and what, sorry, before I go to the definition, is actually the introduction of a new rule in the MDR. Yeah. So previously in the MDD, we had 18 rules. 
And now in the MDR, we have 22 rules. And one of the rules, which is a new one, is Rule 11. Yeah. And Rule 11 is all about software. So here we have some interesting words within the definition of uh, Rule 11, which looks at um, software which is intending to provide information, which is used for decisions, uh, which also diagnose for therapeutic purposes or intended for physiological uh, purpose, uh, purpose, purposes. But it can also be uh, something which is predicting or, or monitoring uh, so uh, for alleviation of disease. So, and there's a lot of uh, devices which can be classified, uh, software which is classified for these purposes. And very often you get into an argument or a debate with a manufacturer saying, oh, well, we're not actually monitoring anything. We're just recording information. Okay. <laughs> so this becomes a bit of a, a, a legal terminology now is at what point do we differentiate between intended information, it's only for information purposes, and we will not do anything with the information, or it will actually be used for a purpose. Because then if it's just being used for information, then what's the purpose of your device? I, I have I have some clients that come to me <laughs> with also these arguments to say my device or my software is only for information, but the doctor can do whatever he wants with that. So it's not a guide like he has to do that, but it's just an indication or an information <clears throat> so that he can use if he wants which they try really, as I said, to reduce as low as possible the implication of their software. But as you mentioned at the end, what is the purpose of it if at the end the, the information you are providing is not really a guide or is not really helping anything or is not providing yeah. any information that is for uh, diagnosis or for uh, helping uh, to diagnose uh, a disease. So yeah. as you mentioned, maybe there is really a fine line in terms of the definitions. What means monitoring? What means uh, decision technique? What means pro prognosis? Maybe uh, having uh, more clarity on that can, can help. But I see already some manufacturers that are really trying to play on those words to say my yeah. device is a class one and not a class two A or two B exactly. because of that or that or that. So it's uh, yeah. really interesting. So what, one, one, of the, one, one of the critical points, just, uh, just to uh, expand on that also, is when you have clinical intervention, that makes a difference. So, for example, if the software is providing information, but there is, uh, or, or it's um, predicting or monitoring something, and there is no clinical intervention, and uh, let's say a healthcare practitioner, a nurse, or somebody uses the information for the final decision, this is where the criticality is very high. But if it's if there's uh, information that's being used, and a clinician, a doctor or surgeon uses that information and then makes the final decision. And uh, just for uh, extra, um, let's say, uh, added data uh, to make the final uh, prognosis and the final uh, decision, then there is a difference. And this is where the category of risk lowers because there's intervention already happened. It's when there's, all, all, because we're talking about automation. And, and remember, there's also artificial intelligence taking yeah. place as well. This is another area, artificial intelligence. But we're not going to go to artificial intelligence because this is actually a very complex subject. Yeah. There's um, uh, the whole arena of artificial intelligence. And I know FDR actually, they're documenting, they've proposed a document since I think April 2019 uh, to go into this whole subject area machine learning and all this type of thing. But so now you've got technology which is so advanced and is advancing and is being used for final decisions with no intervention. This is where the risk is the highest. I think it's it's really really important here. Um, in terms of the of the IEC 62304 again, um, 
if I want to apply it, um, do I need to be a kind of a software developer engineer that is really knowing all about software development to do that? Or can I be uh, just a um, quality or regulatory affairs person that knows the standards, know what we have to find, and is working directly with those engineers to find the right information? Right. So that's a good question. So um, personally, I don't have any software background. Okay. I'm not a software engineer. I'm not a programmer. But, uh, the last time I told you, I came from a manufacturing engineer's background. Um, I've worked in manufacturing engineers for 20 years in, in production environment. So I understand a bit about that, but I don't understand about software. So this is a different language to me. So I leave that to the software programmers. Now, this is where there is a, a bridge of collaboration because software engineers don't know about regulations. Um, and they, they, most times when I speak to them, they don't know about medical device regulations. Very often, they've come from uh, a, a hardcore software background <coughs> programming, uh, and now suddenly you tell them that your software is a medical device. What does that mean to them? So this is new territory. You now have to then put all of the boxes of regulatory in place, and you have to start making this easy to understand for people which is a completely new territory. And this is where I tend to work uh, best as a regulatory expert. I know the regulations, I know the boxes and the framework that's required. And I then advise those people who are the software engineers, what you need to do to meet the regulations and what are the documents that you need to produce to fulfill the requirements of 62304. And that's the way it works. Now, I think it's great because, uh, as we said also, in the medical device field, we, they, they mainly tell you where to go, uh, where to arrive, but how to go there, which route you have to choose, you have to build it yourself. So uh, yeah. you, as a regulatory affairs person or a quality person, plus the, the software engineer who knows more about the software, the, this, this team, if I can say, can work together to really arrive to this objective because maybe the software engineer has also some ideas how to prove this or how to prove that or how to answer these requirements. Uh, from the from the IC standard, um, yeah, you are helping uh, actually some some companies about that. So you offer this service uh, as a consultant for uh, IC sixty two three or four. Is it correct? Absolutely, yeah. So I help a lot of companies, especially there's a lot of startup companies that um, they don't seem to have the understanding and the knowledge of 6234. It's, uh, it's a very niche area. Um, and there's a lot of companies where I've helped for all sorts of things from everything from predictive cardiac arrest to IT health management to um, uh, Alzheimer's brain um, uh, uh, issues or dementia, this type of thing. Um, and even uh, monitoring for orthopedic purposes as well. There's lots of um, areas, screening for cancers. Um, they are, there's, there, it's endless. The number of things that are coming up in different scenarios is very interesting because um, it's also new territory in terms of regulations as well. Uh, what do we do in such and such? But I think the MDCG document that I mentioned, 2019-11, is an excellent document for guidance because it gives you some actual examples at the back of it of different types of software, yeah. how to classify them, what classifications, what risk, um, how to define it. Is it a medical device? Isn't it a medical device? It's a very easy to understand document. And that's a, from, for me, I would advise most people, that's a good starting point. Have a look yeah. at the MDCG document. Exactly. I looked at it and I read it and it was great because they give some examples. It's not like just giving some exactly. theory things. No, if your software mm -hmm. is just for storing some files, 
uh, information, but it's not really taking any decisions, etc. They give you really some examples of those kind of software that maybe are used in hospitals or this or that. So it's mainly something that is really helping because they are really it's expensive. They say example one, example two, etc., etc., uh, which is uh, which is helping a lot. Um, in terms of uh, farming med um, limited, so how can you support those companies that are now uh, working on that? So you offer this consulting. Um, I think you have maybe also some, I, I know you are offering templates, but I don't know. Are you offering templates on IEC 62304? Yes, absolutely. So, so um, what we've done previously is that we have had uh, a guidance document before the MDCG document came out. Actually, we ha we had our own version. Okay. <laughs> is a is a, a unofficial uh, guidance document from FarmingMed uh, to try and make it easier for uh, um, uh, software developers to understand what does it mean in six two three four, what the definitions are, what the classifications and the uh, examples. So we put all, all the examples into one document. So we have a software as a medical device guidance document um, and also a, a checklist which breaks down all of the clauses and the subclauses of 62304 and the requirement and what evidence the, the medical device manufacturer actually has that can fulfill that specific requirement. So this is a checklist that we produced and it then it enables a categorization for the manufacturer to see what sort of health they're in, where if they're uh, uh, loss of non-conformities or minor or major, or they're in a good green situation. So if they're a healthy situation, so they've got all the requirements. Uh, and very often what you find is that even uh, um, software developers that don't have um, six two three or four, an understanding of or, or any knowledge of it, they will actually have um, some methodology that they've been following. Because what you find is uh, the traditional waterfall diagram, which some people might call uh, from the user requirements, the yeah. design inputs, outputs, verification, validation. This is known as the waterfall diagram. And then you have the agile system, which looks at a more of a linear approach. Um, and this is a, a um, an approach which most Manufacturers are now starting to use Agile. They have different systems that they use, different methodologies. But the principal key thing is that when we look through the checklist and the requirements for 62304, there will be uh, something, many things that the manufacturer is doing, and they can tick the box and we have it completed, but it might be called something else. Okay. So let's take, for example, uh, problem resolution is one of the requirements that's needed, which is actually customer feedback. Um, but it's been done in a very specific way where it's needed in software terminology. And even the quality management system, your ISO 13485, should also be aligned to the terminology for 62304. Um, because your medical device is a software, you need to start thinking about specific language for medical device, but even more specific language for software as a medical device. So you should also have a procedure for software development lifecycle. What is your company's approach to SDLC? Are you using waterfall diagram? Are you using Agile? Are you using a different system? This should all be outlined in the SDLC procedure. And then when it comes to complaints and feedback, or even change, for example, if you make any change to the software, how do you document the change? Now, one thing that we know for sure is that software is not the same as any other medical device like hardware or something where uh, you're having patches and releases on a very regular basis. Yeah. So how do you then manage the changes for this? Are you making a change control or a change for the design every, every time? Well, of course, this is not practical. So this is why you have to have an approach. Um, and one of the documents that you have to produce is a software development plan. 
In the software development plan, you can outline all of this approach and how you are managing the changes uh, and feedback and everything can be all documented in the software development plan. Uh, and then one of the important things also is, like we understand very clearly in, in, regulatory, in the regulatory world, is that once you do something, you don't archive it and you don't stick it in a cupboard and it's finished. You have to maintain. Exactly. Right? Improvements on PDCS, so how to maintain everything each time. So we have something in software called software maintenance plan also. So you have to then have an, uh, some kind of plan of how you're maintaining the software and changes and continuous, you know, so that's also very important. No, I think it's great. So um, as you mentioned, so there is this guidance that you create. So is it something that we can offer to people to, to download? Yeah, so what we'll, what we'll do is um, I, I will uh, hopefully give you um, the software as a medical device guidance document. I will okay. give you that, that you can then make that available for your viewers and listeners, and they can download all that for free from your website, wherever you think is the best, best place. Yeah. Um, and then after that, there's lots of templates that we have also produced. There's something like 10 or 15 templates, which are all of the requirements as outputs from 62304. So do you have a software development plan? Yes, well, we've got a template. Do you have um, an integration and regression testing uh, uh, document? Yes, we have a template. Um, maintenance plan? Yes, we have a template. Uh, pro problem resolution for feedback? Yes, we have a template. So all of these things, we have developed these templates to make it easier for manufacturers uh, to cut out some of the work and to hold their hands a little, little bit and point them towards the right direction of, okay, there's interpreting the 62304 requirements can be very, very complicated. Uh, the templates will provide you at least some kind of guidance to fulfilling the documentation requirements. So an auditor when they're reviewing the documentation, these are the sort of things that they will ask them. Show me your software development plan and show me your software testing uh, and, and, and all of the other documentation. So that's something that we've provided. We, uh, at the moment, it's not available on our website, but we should hopefully be able to make that available on our website for download in the next um, week or so. Okay, no problem. So um, I will mention anything uh, anyway, the, the, the link for download so, uh, of this guidance. And uh, please go to Farimed uh, Limited website and uh, look at, uh, at the package for uh, IEC 62304 uh, templates. Uh, I think maybe it will be available when, when we'll uh, really have this episode released, uh, released uh, to, to people. Okay, Adnan, so I think it's helping a lot. Uh, I think people are now um, well, uh, do understand really well uh, what is 62304, uh, when they should apply it, and I hope yeah, uh, they will have uh, more successful uh, within this kind of software. Uh, medical device software are something that is really growing now. As you mentioned, there is a lot of startups that start to use that. So yeah. uh, usually they maybe hear a lot about ISO 13485 for quality management system. They also have to hear more about uh, IEC 62304 because it's also a, a standard they have to apply uh, apply to that. So don't hesitate also to contact Adnan. If you have any question, <laughs> go to his LinkedIn page. Uh, I will put everything on the, on the show notes for that. Okay, Adnan, yeah. uh, some last words for the audience yeah I just wanted to say I said just uh, because you mentioned the QMS um, about 13485 I don't want the audience to be confused because there's a, there, there's a clause within, within ISO 13485 which is 4.2.6 which is validating uh, software 
for quite which is used in the quality management system. Yeah. Again, this is not something to be confused with because this is the quality management system. So it could be, for example, any purchasing software. Some people use SAP or any MRP system or any other uh, QMS mm-hmm. that they're using. This yeah, is control, yeah. Doc control. It's not the same. If you want to look at in within ISO 13485, where does it tell me to do the software validation? It will not tell you in this specific way, but look at clause seven, product realization, yeah. because this is where the fulfillment is required to fulfill all the requirements for clause seven. And that is where I just wanted to clarify that point about the QMS. No problem. It's, it's good. Don't <laughs> worry. No problem for me. And I, I hope yeah, it's, it helps also the audience to, to get more clarification. Great. So, uh, Adnan, thank you for your help. Thank you for all uh, the information you provide. And thank you for the guideline that uh, people can download uh, from the show notes. Uh, sure. And I hope to see you in another episode. So, thank you. And I wish you a thank nice you. day. You too. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.